0: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
1: Let's do it. Welcome, Chiefs Kingdom, to another edition of the auto Structure Podcast. Another Victory Monday, the eighth Victory Monday in a row, the Chiefs put on a 36-10 to victory in the Pittsburgh Steelers that somehow was not as close as the score would indicate. Uh, so that was a pretty good outcome over the weekend. Everything seems to be coming up Chiefs so far. Ron, how's your holiday? How was this game for you?
2: Well, it was a win for streaks, right? We got the eighth straight win of the season, the sixth straight division title. This win clinched that with the Chargers losing to the Houston Texans inexplicably somehow uh, right before this Chiefs game. But Yeah, man, it was just another one of those defensive dominating performances Uh, over this win streak. We've seen a bunch of them, obviously not last week with Chris Jones, Willie Gay, Legere Sneed missing, but got some guys back this week and and still we're missing some guys, but the defense dominated once again and and the offense just did enough. Although they did a little bit more than enough, I feel like in this game, and we'll talk about that a little more.
1: Yeah, this thing felt over after the first, um, definitely after the first quarter, probably after the first couple series. It was clear that this Chiefs team had this game in hand, that they were the better team on the day, that they were dominant on offense and on defense, uh, and there was no turning back from that point on. You know, we had some great questions uh, that come in and and thought I'd start off with one of them just talking about the holidays a little bit. You know, just came through the Christmas holiday. Sean at Outlaw2448 asked the question, what's the best Christmas present over the weekend, whether, whether received or given or that you heard about?
2: Yeah. If you're talking about given, I, I, I'm probably like a lot of you, if you're in Kansas city, listening, Um, I, I go basic, right. Go to Kansas sampler, go to rally house. They got so many different things, uh, chiefs wise, any can't just Kansas city theme. They have really cool Kansas city themed clothing, uh, accessories, the college, the local college team too. So that's where I did a lot of my shopping. Uh, so shout out rally house. But, uh, Oh, it's cool. My fiance actually got me this this big book of, of a bunch of printed uh, newspapers, New York Times newspapers of, of all chi- anytime they ever wrote an article about the Chiefs since they first moved from Dallas until the last Super Bowl. I thought that was cool. Um, you know, I know, you know, you can get stuff like that from the Kansas City Star, but to get a, a national newspaper like that was actually kind of cool. So shout out my fiance.
1: That's Ron Cobb Jr. sponsored by Rally House and the New York Times. Now that, Those are good gifts, both given and received. I think for us, uh, some of you may have noticed I wasn't here last week. I appreciate uh, Ron and the guys stepping in. Uh, we bought a house, so that's uh, we'll call that the big gift. And the gift for me is just a big, long list of manual labor I have to do. But really, my favorite gift that I received was was from my kids. And I've got three kids, and they're all at that age where uh, Christmas is a big deal to them. But this year, uh, without any prompting, they each made something for for everyone uh, as a Christmas gift, and so got a couple little handmade things that were that were pretty sweet. And then my my middle son, uh, who's in third grade this year, they had this program at school where they could earn credits based on good behavior and, and whatever else at school, and use those credits to buy things from this catalog. And so he he bought me a present from the catalog with his credits, his little a little miniature dartboard for my office, which I thought was really sweet and thoughtful of him. And it's just really cool to see your kids, you know, thinking about others during the holiday season. And that, that warmed my heart a little bit. Yeah, man, that's a win-win shout out to school for, for
2: that program. I think that's really cool. Um, But yeah, like as a parent, not only did your kid get you, you know, something cool was thoughtful, you know, all that kind of stuff, but the only reason they were able to get it is because they were a good kid this year uh, on Santa's nice list. So that's, that's awesome. That's really cool.
1: And plus, I didn't have to pay for my own present, so I'll take that (laughs) any day of the week. Uh, So thanks for the question, Sean. Uh, Let's get right back to the takeaways from this game. Ron, what did you see from this Chiefs victory uh, that really stuck out to you?
2: Yeah, I wrote about it after the game on ArrowheadPride.com. Go check it out. Um, I wrote about Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes' press conferences for the most part. Because Andy had the same big takeaway as I did from this game, and it's it's that Patrick Mahomes played an unbelievably good game, a great game, in the words of of Andy, in his post game press conference, in the absence of Travis Kelsey. This is and and I I know you've been beating over the head with it, listeners, all week, but this was the first start in, in Mahomes' career since that week seventeen start in his rookie season that he didn't have to that he didn't get to play with Travis Kelsey in the starting lineup. And I actually had some fears going into the game. I really did think. Uh, the absence of Kelsey could maybe throw off Mahomes' rhythm, his his comfort in the pocket, his timing, especially with a Pittsburgh pass rush that could really you know take advantage of a of an off schedule Mahomes, um you know kind of just playing uncomfortably like we've seen at parts in the season right and in, in stretches Mahomes has not looked as good as he did in this game and and like he has in recent stretches. I really thought without Kelsey it might resort back to that. It didn't, man. You know he 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 got the ball to. He spread it out. He had nine different receivers make a catch in the first half. Um, everyone was making plays. And, and and yeah, Mahomes just pocket presence. I'll get into that a little more. But the main part was just that this was a vintage Mahomes performance. And, you know, he showed why he is one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback in the league. And, honestly, I'm – you know, I, I am curious if this – and I'm curious to see the national media's reaction because, I don't know, could this catapult him back into the MVP conversation – having this good of a game against a pretty good defense. I know that had not been great, but a pretty good defense without his best player. I don't know. Staggs, what do you think about that?
1: I mean, he, he should have never been out of the MVP conversation. Um, yeah. and I, I think the, the discussion of his demise was uh, quite premature. As the old quote goes, I do think that this team really feels like they're coming together. And a lot of it is really just about comfort on the field repetition. And it looks like Mahomes. Is more comfortable with his offensive line. His line's more comfortable with him. There's a little bit more synergy there, and those guys understanding how to play together. Uh, so he he definitely you saw that, and you saw less hesitation in throwing to his running backs and his secondary uh, receiver targets. There were times, even as recently as last week, when it looked like Mahomes was refusing to throw to an open McCole Hardman or Demarcus Robinson or you know some of those guys. Um, even if they were open, even if that was the obvious read, because he just wasn't comfortable. Maybe the trust wasn't there as much as, as you'd like to see it. This week, I feel like the trust factor was there. Uh, like you said, he spread the ball around nine different receivers and really got the ball out in rhythm, made it look easy. And so if it wasn't his most spectacular performance ever, it was certainly one of his most efficient performances and had some spectacular mixed in there. Uh, there's been some highlights going around of that throw to Byron Pringle, uh, which was which was uh, excellent, uh, and, and vintage Mahomes with the the arm angle and the way he fit the ball in there. So definitely thought he looked comfortable. He was in rhythm, and that bodes really, really well for this uh, stretch run.
2: Yeah, you talk about trusting the receivers. Well, that also extends to his trust in the pass protection. That That played a really good game. You know, I was really worried about what T.J. Watt, who has lined up primarily over the right tackle? I was worried about what he would do in this game with with Andrew Wiley having to start once again for Lucas Nying, who's on the COVID list. And yeah, there, the two sacks happened for sure. And, and Mahomes, you know, it wasn't perfect, um, but for the most part, Mahomes. Not only did he get good pass protection, he helped out his pass protection by by stepping up against edge pressure. You know, Orlando Brown didn't have his greatest game. I think Pittsburgh's uh, edge rusher Highsmith actually had a pretty good game against him, but. Mahomes neutralized a lot of those pressures by just stepping up and 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 keeping his eyes downfield. That's one thing I've really noticed about Mahomes' play in this stretch, and I actually broke down a play uh, from the Chargers game in the AP film room. Go check that out on the YouTube page. Where, yeah, his, his eyes are just so stuck downfield. It's almost like someone is holding his head directed downfield as he's running and moving in the pocket and escaping to the outside. And it, it just was apparent in this game again um, how, how comfortable Mahomes looks. Navigating the pocket while looking downfield while finding the open receiver, another great game from Mahomes. Fourth highest completion percentage of the season, second highest passer rating of the season. It was another. It, it was it was a vintage, like I said, vintage performance from Mahomes for sure.
1: What was unusual about it, and what was not vintage Mahomes, is the fact that he did not have one rushing attempt in this game. And I think I saw that yeah, that was yeah. the only time in his career that that's ever happened. So he was moving around the pocket, but not taken off. And, you know, there's pros and cons to that, but I think if you want to see his evolution as a pocket passer, this is the game film that you're going to watch. And, you know, there's other games where he's going to create more with his feet, but he did a really good and and purposeful job, I think this week of manipulating the pocket and, and staying in there in more of a traditional pocket passer role.
2: Yeah, and the guy that took advantage of that the most was Byron Pringle. He led the team in targets, receptions, yards, and receiving touchdowns. He had six or six catches on seven targets, seventy-five yards in, in the two scores. That that one target that didn't get caught, um, it was a pretty good play by the defense, but it, it was in Pringle's hands. Um, that was one that's one thing that's kind of been consistent with him this year. Not the strongest hands to an extent, but got the 75 yards. The second touchdown was was a great play after the catch by him. Juked a couple guys out and made a third guy miss as he got into the end zone. Um, great great day from Byron Pringle. His first multi-touchdown game of his entire career. Still not the highest yardage, though. He had a great game in 2019 at home against the Colts. But I think Byron Pringle deserves a lot of credit for stepping up. And he's really established himself as the wide receiver, too. Which, hey, this, this team hasn't really... I think it's been a theme all season. We don't really have a wide receiver, too. But... If if we do have to pick one guy out, it seems like it is Byron Pringle. Even though it feels like the the mixture the the combination of of the running back group right now could be wide receiver too, and 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 that's another thing. You know, I mentioned Mahomes keeping his eyes downfield. One of those plays that that really benefited from that was Derek Gore's fifty yard reception. Mahomes steps up, and then he just then he just kind of walks or kind of runs along the line of scrimmage to the right. He, he actually checks back and makes sure a rusher isn't coming You know, quickly. I, I really like how he does that. He kind of is always aware. And he does it so quickly, you, you barely even tell that he does it. But finally, he just he kind of just waits for someone to get open. And this is a really good play by, by Derek Gore. You were actually talking about it as we prepped for this podcast. You, you pointed out that it was a, a, a veteran play almost, by an undrafted rookie free agent, getting open downfield, right? Derek Gore, that's not a design route. It wasn't a wheel route. He was a, a, a player in the flat. And once the scramble drill happened, he got to a place where Mahomes could get him the ball. So uh, Mahomes just had a great game. But then his the secondary receiver is a guy like Derek Gore, who you know wasn't even in the conversation to be a contributor. You know, a few months ago, making a huge play in this game, the longest play of the game. Um, shout out Derek Gore. He had a, he had a, a a big game here. It looks like about a hundred
1: total yards for the, for hundred four total yards for Derek Gore. It was a great play by him and a great game for Derek Gore. He is really looking more comfortable. He Looks like a a seasoned veteran out there. And it does show a lot of savvy that he's able to, to work that scramble drill and, and see what the corner was doing and, and just run right past him. And then, of course, make the catch and, and convert and run after the catch. So that, that was a really impressive play. Uh, he's getting pretty hard to deny at this point that Derek Gore looks like an actual player in this league and somebody who, who can contribute on all three downs and somebody who should be in the conversation going forward uh, as needed. Uh, to be part of that running back rotation. I was I, I was noticing a lot on the defense this week, though, and I know we'll talk more about running backs here in just a minute because we got a lot of questions about that running back room. But on, on the defensive side of the ball, in addition to the play of the front seven and the pressure they were getting, which I thought was pretty solid this week, uh, really good games from Jaron Reed, from Frank Clark, from Chris Jones. I mean, you, you had a lot of good performances up front. But this secondary is continuing to play some really tremendous football. It starts with the Jarius Sneed coming back from his personal tragedy. Welcome back to the team on and off the field with open arms because the way this guy plays the game, um, I saw a couple of people joking about it on Twitter. He might not have allowed a yard after catch this entire season. And I don't see why teams even bother trying to throw screens or, or throws into the flat. Uh, when Snead is out there because he is on it in an instant and probably the most physical tackling and, and most physically sound tackler uh, at his position, maybe in the in the entire league at this point.
2: Yeah, the Chiefs cornerback group is really set up to take advantage of what the Steelers really want to do on offense uh, with Big Ben's age right now. And and just their pass protection, you know, the offensive line is not very good. And Najee Harris, as good as he is, he's still a rookie. And you see the the lapses in, in pass cut protection sometimes um, kind of bite the Steelers in the butt. So they like to get the ball, get rid of the ball quick. And that, you know, feeds exactly into what Snead likes to do in terms of coming up and making tackles around the line of scrimmage. I got like Charvarius Ward. You know, he likes to play press and play physical, at, you know, at the start of a route, which helped him get that interception on the flea flicker early in the game. Um, yeah, this cornerback group was built to kind of take advantage of what the Steelers wanted to do on offense. And and you you saw exactly, you know, why this was kind of a mismatch in terms of this Chiefs defense against the Steelers offense. Especially because, you know, the pass rush didn't have a, a huge box score game. But it's because of how quickly the Big Ben was getting rid of the ball. And they did force, you know, a few throws uh, like that Traverius Ward interception where, yeah, if Big Ben had a little more time. Maybe he he doesn't, you know, he makes a more accurate throw, all that kind of thing. so. Pass rush had a lot bigger of a game than the box score would indicate. You know, we still got to give credit to a guy like Chris Jones, who was just eating the interior offensive line of the Steelers alive, even though he didn't end up with a sack, I don't believe.
1: Yeah, I thought uh, Ward played a really good game overall and not an easy matchup for him because you saw the only real mismatch in the Chiefs' secondary versus this uh, Pittsburgh Steelers' offense was how their bigger receivers were able to take advantage of Mike Hughes a little bit, and not that Hughes was in bad position, but he got out jumped, um, you know, a couple of times. And I think that's happened this season a fair amount, where Hughes is pretty much where he's supposed to be, uh, you know, within a step. But uh, but the teams can take advantage of his limited size and, and range in that way. Traverius Ward, you know, has the size to match up against some of those bigger receivers you know, but uh, he can be beaten at at times with quickness, but he was right in the hip pocket of those guys. And that, that interception, just the catch the way he brought it down one handed, that was a highlight real play uh, from a guy who is probably going to get paid after this season.
2: Yeah, I know. Right. It's trending towards that where he is. He is really going to be one of the highest, the, the most coveted free agent cornerbacks in the NFL this off season. And that's why it is kind of hard to see the Chiefs re-signing him um, be, just because of that, not because of his performance, obviously. I, I think he's he's definitely earned it. It's just the fact that we haven't seen Brett Veach invest uh, a lot in the cornerback position. And if you're Brett Veach, you can point and say, why would I? It's worked out great so far. I got a guy like Sneed in the fourth round. I got a guy like Rashad Fenton in the sixth round. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. So, yeah, Ward might be playing himself out of, out of Kansas City, and that's not a bad thing for him.
1: Yeah, you, you hate to see it, but uh, you know, as some of these younger players develop, then you know it's sort of the natural progression of things. When you've got you can't pay everybody, you've got a couple of big names coming up. You know, with the salary cap going up this year, I think the Chiefs can can do it if they want to. They just have to make some they may have to make some tough uh, trade-offs in the process. Well, another thing that that I thought we could look at real quick is some of the snap counts uh, anything jump out at you from a playing time or a snap count perspective? Yeah,
2: on offense, first thing I, I thought about, um, and it's a little thing, a little bit, because because the tight end group without Kelsey didn't wasn't a huge performance. And actually, you pointed out in your winners losers that you know it was kind of a you know if there is going to be a loser of this game, it probably is Blake Bell and Noah Gray not really stepping up to the occasion from the tight end position. Um, I believe they just had three catches for uh, twenty three yards between them. Yeah, on three targets. Blake Bell's 11-yard catch was important early in the game. Uh, but Noah Gray actually had a, a red zone catch that, you know, I could be wrong, but it seemed like he did run that route short of the sticks. And, and if it was Kelsey, he's, he, you know, it's a catch. It was a completion, and but it led to a fourth and one. I think Kelsey catches that pass the sticks and gets a first down. But all that to say, the reason I point out the tight ends is because Noah Gray actually did step up and take over that tight end position way over Blake Bell. He had 30 more snaps than Blake Bell or 25, excuse me, 25 more snaps than Blake Bell. Uh, Noah Gray played 72% of the snaps while Blake Bell only played 36. So, yeah, I think Noah Gray proved to us that the Chiefs are liking what they're seeing more and more. I feel like before, even before Kelsey wasn't playing, he was starting to play you know, a bigger role, get more opportunities in routes, get more opportunities to just be in there as a second tight end, not not Bell, even if it is just a blocking situation. And that's good to see, because I think we were all excited about Gray at the beginning of the year. Tight end is one of those positions that not a lot of players do just come out as a rookie and play really well. It's one of those positions that does take maybe, you know, two or three years even to, to really get going. So, you know, it, it, it's a good sign that Gray is continuing to improve uh, for future. And, and but for right now, he didn't he didn't make too big of an impact, but it's still good to see him get all the snaps.
1: Yeah, that's the thing about Gray. We thought early in the preseason that he was going to be this dynamic weapon, this Travis Kelsey Jr., this hybrid guy that they were going to get on the field and they were going to do all this creative stuff with him. And that hasn't really panned out so far. But what the kid has done is come in and put in the work as a blocker. And that's why he's getting substantial snaps is he shows up play after play as a blocker, as does Blake Bell, so even if they're not filling up the box score, those guys are doing some of the, the little things that helps the offense. And so, you know, we can't uh, we can't be too hard on them at this point uh, for not having a lot of pass production, uh, even though you'd like to see a little bit more in a game like this particular one. Uh, other things I noticed from the snap counts: uh, DiCaprio Boodle, uh, This guy, you know, has been on the practice squad. He's been called up to the active roster, hasn't had a big role yet. He led the team in tackles uh, this week with eight total tackles, six solo tackles, and he did that on 27 snaps. So that's 38% of the defensive snaps led the team in tackles. I got to imagine, without having gone back and analyzed it, I got to imagine a lot of that was in mop-up duty, uh, but really interesting and notable to see how uh, involved he was late in the game.
2: Yeah, shout-out to Caprio Boodle. He was one of those UDFAs I actually did think had a, had a chance. Um, and actually, I remember early in training camp, they were actually testing him out a little bit with the starting defense, um, and that's always a good sign, just in walkthroughs and stuff. Um, that's always a good sign for a UDFA. So cool to see him stucking around and, and coming coming in and, and making an impact when he does get the chance. But my main takeaway from that takeaway, that snap count takeaway, is that it shows you how – how rested the defensive starters i guess just all the starters the offense too but not to the extent of the, de- of the defense how much rest the starters got a guy like frank clark played 40 percent of the snaps uh the lowest among all the the starters you know a guy like chris jones couldn't didn't even play 50 percent of the snaps and and that's another thing too i say chris jones he didn't play against the chargers because of covid you know not to make light of covert or anything because hey Getting it could impact them a lot more um, than than any sort of you know uh, playing games and kind of getting banged up in that way in terms of like your respiratory system and stuff. But the COVID all of a sudden maybe it gave a guy like Chris Jones and Travis Kelsey a necessary rest week late in the season, right? A guy like Chris Jones that that whole that sh- on a short week that wear and tear you get on your body from a, a tough physical overtime Thursday night win. He didn't have that, and and then all of a sudden, Travis Kelsey, who we know has been banged up all year in terms of being, you know, hammered at the line of scrimmage, you know, and press coverage, and 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 just defenses taking shots at him, he didn't have to go through that against Pittsburgh, right? So, all of a sudden, you know, the, these kind of these 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 kind of absences, and then just this blowout in general, this team's getting getting quite a bit of rest, especially because they just had a ten day rest period between games too. This team should be pretty dang fresh going into the postseason outside of some injuries that we'll we'll touch on a
1: little bit. Ron always able to make a negative into a positive I like that. Looking at the bright side of things even when it comes to COVID, even if it comes to players missing. But I think it's a good point and you you want to be as fresh and as healthy as you can be going into the playoffs. And you also want to have your depth playing at a high level. And and I think that's the other valuable point is when some of your key players are missing. It gives opportunities for others to step up, get some snaps, get into the flow of the game, and be ready when their number's called later in the season. One guy who we've always had in that category is Chad Henney, who, you know, when he's a, he's been called upon in the past, he's made some huge plays for this team. Uh, this week he got in there and got to knock some of the rest off with a couple of quick fumbles, uh, but getting that out of the way, before the playoff run. I'll take that as a positive. So you're right. I think this looks like a fresh team and a team that's building up their depth for the playoff run.
2: Yeah, exactly. No, this this depth right now, it's something that I was a little worried about on this defense. I think it was one way to kind of maybe blame what was happening earlier in the season with the defense is hey, they're not a deep team. They need their starters in the game, right? And if they don't have all their starters it becomes a huge weakness. Well, I think they did disprove that a little bit this week, especially the chargers game. Maybe not because you know, the, the defense had probably the worst game of the, of the winning stretch um, without three of their best players um, missing. Nick Bolton and Rashad Fenton though, that those are two key players as well. And they still stepped up and held Pittsburgh to no points until like what the, the late third quarter Mike Tomlin kicks a field goal down 30 to nothing. I thought that was a little funny. Um, But, yeah, just just a great game for the overall team and just a great confidence booster, like you said, for the depth guys who are going to have to be important, man. You never know who's going to have to step up and make make big plays down the stretch of the season.
1: Somebody who's buried on the depth chart and has been since his rookie season actually played the most snaps uh, of his career since 2018. Dorian O'Daniel showed up on the broadcast with a highlight reel hit. He tallied 22 snaps on defense. Again, that's the most since his rookie season of 2018. I'm not sure we can read too much into this because the team has just flatly refused to play him on defense this far in his career. They've done everything they could to replace him and play everybody else but him on defense. But man, I feel like the guy shows up whenever he gets a whenever he gets a chance.
2: Yeah. So that's the thing with Dorian O'Daniel is that like I just mentioned, man, you never know when depth's going to need to be tested. And he hasn't played much defense at all since 2018, since that first year of Patrick Mahomes, where, you know, you remember plays like him blowing up Joe Mixon in the flat on Sunday night football. And you're like, yeah, what happened to that? And who knows, man, with COVID and with injuries, you know, late in the season, he needs to be ready to step up if something crazy happens. And, and this was a, a good sign for him to be able to play 22 snaps and and you know, get some confidence in him in terms of playing within the defense. Uh, so yeah, for Dorian O'Daniel, you know, it was good to see him, especially in a contract year too. You know, he he wants to get paid after this year by somebody. So maybe some of these garbage time uh, highlight reels can can get him some money.
1: Well, actually, that leads us nicely into this question uh, from Errors Oceans: Who is putting themselves in in the position to be a potentially surprise contributor in the playoffs? And I, whenever this question comes up, I, I think it's a good one because. It does get you thinking about some of these depth players, some of these more bottom of the roster type players who, every time you've seen a championship team, every time you've seen the story of the Patriots on their run or any other uh, championship team, there's always an unheralded player or two that makes a play, maybe even in the Super Bowl that nobody saw coming. So, who do you think? Um, is going to be the unpredictable uh, surprise contributor for the chiefs coming down the stretch.
2: Yeah. Let's uh, let's, let's say one offense and one defense just to have a little fun with it a little more. Um, we can start on offense and we just talked about it a little bit, but you know, in terms of surprise, cause I think it's kind of tough with this offense. There's a lot of guys that probably have to step up and won't be much of a surprise, but I think Noah gray could really be a guy that, that steps up and becomes the solidified tight end too. And, you know, with his receiving upside, we you know, we've seen it in spurts this year. You know, maybe he can get open on a crucial play on a third down. Maybe he can, you know, in the red zone, you know, make a, a spectacular catch when when Mahomes, you know, uh, desperately throws one in traffic. I mean, he, he could be a guy that he just has more receiving upside than Blake Bell. So it's good that the Chiefs are trusting him more and more to play more than Blake Bell because I do think, you know, when he's in the game rather than Bell, if there is something that breaks down, if there is a play where Mahomes has to kind of just make something out of nothing, I do think Gray is a better option to make that play happen on the other end, and and Bell maybe not as much. So it, it it's cool to see Gray continue to play well, and in the postseason, you know he he could make a big play out of nowhere for sure.
1: Yeah, again, he was somebody that we were excited about in the preseason, and you know he he is a, somebody who could turn into a playmaker uh, down the road. Don't take anything away from Blake Bell though. The quarterback sneak specialist. Uh, we, ho- we hope to see more of that play uh, in the future and, and not Mahomes uh, uh, taking those hits. Uh, the belldozer has his role. I think both of those guys are key role players. I'm going to go with what I think is the obvious answer to this question. And it's the same answer I've been giving all season that everybody's been asking about all season that we've been waiting for forever. And we might be waiting for it forever going forward. But uh, Josh Gordon has has really become a starter on this team. Uh, if if not by production, at least by snaps and and uh, you know the timing of those snaps, he's done what you'd want to see a player do to put themselves in position to make a to make an impact. He's on the field. He's got a good attitude. He's blocking. He's running routes. Uh, he's stayed healthy. He's kept his head in the game. He's done everything that you'd want him to do, except for actually make plays on the field. So Josh Gordon is still my sleeper. I write that uh, piece for Airhead Pride every week uh, about market movers, and I have to pick a sleeper. I've picked him probably eight or nine times so far this season, and and it's it is not over yet. Uh, he is still the sleeper on this team. He's still the one receiver that uh, we have yet to see break out that actually still could. I think we know what we're getting from Nicole Hardman going forward. Uh, He's a gadget player that, you know, they'll scheme something up for him and and he'll make a play now. And then, you know, I think now what you've got in Byron Pringle and, and he's more of a reliable receiver. uh, Somebody who I'll argue with you a little bit earlier, you questioned his hands. I think he has the occasional concentration drop but he's got very strong hands when it comes to snatching the ball out of the air and pulling it away from defenders and holding onto the ball and taking a big hit. And so Byron Pringle, again, I think you know who he is and what role he's going to play. Obviously, you know who Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill are the only unknown left, the only guy yet to break out. that could be a complete surprise out of left field teams have completely forgotten that he exists. Uh, Has to be Josh Gordon. I'm not convinced it's going to happen, but he's the the one that would come out of left field and and would be fun to watch.
2: Yeah, you're right. It would be a surprise, uh, especially because, you know, before this game, I think you could make the excuse that Gordon just hasn't really gotten many opportunities um, in terms of like the ball actually getting thrown to him in advantageous situations. Well, I think he had a few chances against the Steelers, right? Um, He had three targets. I remember specifically two of them where I came away thinking, Man, he he could have caught that, and and I guess that's a snap count takeaway we didn't look at. But Gordon did only have eight snaps in this game, um, in total, and so he had three targets on those eight snaps, and so it seemed like he was getting involved in the offense more. But he just didn't make the plays, and so that's why you're right. It will still be a surprise if he if he you know turns it on in the postseason because he's still not just he's still not you know hasn't done anything still as a chief. You know he had the one touchdown, which was an easy pass to him. From the one yard line, so yeah, it would be a surprise. It would. I didn't definitely realize.
1: I didn't realize it was only eight snaps this week. In previous weeks, he's gotten you know the starter reps, yeah. the, first, the first team snaps, the first uh, series snaps, you know, and has been on the field throughout, even though he was fairly invisible. So, I, I wonder if the team is starting to change their philosophy on him, or if it was just a little bit of a game plan thing. But either way, you know. Uh, all, all we're missing from him is production. We'll, we'll see. We'll see if we ever get it. should uh, well, Go ahead. Well, yeah, but that
2: is the thing. Like he, even though he had loads of snaps, he had them probably, I think them probably the most targets he's seen as a chief yet. So it, it is kind of a, a weird thing where, yeah, he didn't have the snaps like he usually does, but it did seem like Mahomes was attempting him in more, you know, significant situations more this game than he was before.
1: Yeah, a couple of those plays would have been spectacular catches had he made them. They were jump ball type situations, but that's exactly why you bring in a Josh Gordon in the first place. Is a jump ball specialist at, at minimum. So uh yeah, we'll see what happens there. What what about on defense? Who's your who's your sleeper on defense? Yeah, it's Turk Wharton.
2: Interior defensive lineman, we saw him have a really good rookie year last year. Um, and and so he's a guy that I think is starting to turn it on recently. You're starting to see him flash more and more like he did his rookie year. It seemed like he flashed every game in his rookie season. Not the case as much this year. He did get a sack in this game, got a few uh, other pressures against the Chargers. I remember that there they were a few, you know, significant pressures. So, yeah, I really like what I'm seeing from Turk. And, and I feel like on he could be a guy that, you know, all of a sudden the playoffs has you know multiple sacks, and and we're f- remembering, oh yeah, that guy, he was a he was a great elect- you know electric guy from the interior that we were all excited about, and for most of the season we kind of forgot about him, rightfully, but I think right now he's heating up.
1: Yeah, I was a little down on him earlier in the season, but he had he has come on as of late, and and could be a sleeper. Uh, my sleeper on the defense uh, is is you know right down the line from him, also on the interior, Jaron Reed who's put together a number of strong performances, whether it shows up in the box score or not. This week actually got his hands on the football and had a shot to, to advance the ball a little bit, and I think he enjoyed that. Um, but Jaron Reed is is in the mix a lot, uh, and he gets those effort, those, those hustle, those power-type uh, sacks and, and tackles for loss. He's been on an, in on some turnovers as well, And if that continues the way that this defensive line is playing together, uh, I think you could see some more big plays from him as the playoff run goes.
2: Yeah, Jaron Reed has definitely been a guy that has heated up lately. Um, We've talked about that. So this whole D-line, man, it's fun to see them kind of mesh together and become a really good unit. Um, It doesn't just – it's not just Melvin Ingram, Chris Jones, or Frank Clark. It's really the whole unit right now, and – and I, I would not want to be an opposing quarterback going to get up against this unit when they're fully healthy. It, 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 they are a really good team right now.
1: You bet. We'll tell you what, let's take a break here, and let's hear from our sponsors. Uh, we'll get back to more of your tw- your Twitter questions on the Out of Structure Podcast, so stick with us. Some good content coming up, some good questions uh, we'll dive into right after this. <laughs>
0: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
1: Welcome back to the Out of Structure Podcast on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. I'm Matt Stagner here with Ron Cop Jr. Taking your questions after another Chiefs victory. Uh, Steve Williams, a perennial question answer asker. says did hill only get two targets because he was being doubled up with kelsey being out or was there a concerted effort to get those other receivers like pringle to step up and see who's going to make plays before the playoffs pringle was probably just open but was there more to it uh good question what do you think
2: yeah it is a good question and and it's going to be one of those answers where it's a little bit of both right uh first of all Tyre kill wasn't able to practice at all with the team this week. The, uh, by the time he was on the COVID list, uh, they had not practiced. I believe a full practice. It was early in the week before they really get into a, an actual practice on um, Wednesday is when is when their first practice of the week is. So he did not have Tyreek kill all week. They game planned around not having Tyreek kill. Tyre kill did not get released from the COVID list until Saturday midday. So I do think a lot of that had to do with it. You know, the, the offense, Of game plan just you can't just adjust it you know saturday night especially on christmas right i mean you know it's just one of those things where that probably had something to do with it but i also think the steelers were you know they have guys like aminka fitzpatrick that can kind of be versatile and play over tyreek and kind of you know take him away a little bit while also being a playmaker in other areas so i I think mostly though it was just the fact that you know the team was ready to not play with tyreek and then all of a sudden he was in the game and, and maybe they they didn't want to adjust the game plan too much from from what they already had, and and you saw you know a guy like Pringle kind of take advantage of that.
1: Yeah, much of the chagrin of Tyreek Hill fantasy football owners, um, Mike Clay on ESPN, pointed out uh, the Chiefs' leading receivers were Derek Gore, Byron Pringle, McCole Hardman, and Daryl Williams in the first half, and they were beating the Steelers thirty to nothing. So you know it's it it, it is impressive whether it was intentional or not. It was an impressive showing from Mahomes and those other guys to to dominate on offense like they did without really without either of their main two receiving targets. We've worried in the past that they were too dependent on those two guys. So I'm going to take it as a positive, whether they meant to do it or not, uh, that they, they were able to produce without those guys. And we'll hope that that carries through when you get production back from Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey.
2: Yeah, because I do think Tyreek being in the game helped everyone else, right? I do think if he just didn't play at all, I I do think they they probably don't look as – or Mahomes doesn't maybe look as comfortable maybe, although, you know, who knows, man. I mean, I I thought that about Kelsey, but I do think Tyreek's presence helped other players get open. I do think the Steelers, you know, maybe overcorrected a little bit to kind of take Tyreek away, but that's why, why, you know, it's such an advantage to have those kind of guys because it does help the rest of the offense, and it does seem like Mahomes – didn't take advantage of that as much at other times in the season, but this game especially, he just he just put the put it in position for guys to make plays. So
1: good for Mahomes. Let's go ahead and keep our tinfoil hats on in the conversation about wide receiver. Uh, Jared Worthington asked, I have this theory is out there, but I have this theory that the Chiefs are slow playing Josh Gordon, and in one of the postseason games, all of a sudden he's going to get turned loose and have a hundred receiving yards and, and at least one touchdown i'm crazy aren't i well (laughs) the thing about
2: saying you're slow playing josh gordon is that you know you maybe don't target him maybe you do just give him a few targets like they did against pittsburgh but it just doesn't you know it seems like this game was a good example of you know they wanted to get him involved it's just he's not helping himself really um but like we said he only played eight snaps they could have gave him a lot more snaps Maybe they did to see the three targets and said, that's all we need to see. And and we'll try this again uh, another time. Um, maybe it's still coming, but I would not be confident. Um, I, I think you are maybe a little crazy, but I, you know, I, I don't want to call you crazy, man. I really don't.
1: Yeah. I'm still not holding my breath again. I, I did call him out uh, a little bit ago as a potential breakout player in the playoffs. I I still think it's, he is positioned to do it. I just don't know if it actually is going to happen or not. So let's, Let's get back to running backs because I think this is a really interesting position group, especially over the last few weeks, how they've evolved in the way that they're using their running backs. And and Thomas Ramirez pointed out, are the Chiefs finally using the, the running backs correctly in the, the receiving game? What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think the thing about the receiving game with
2: the running backs right now is that, It's not necessarily this design way to get the the ball to the running backs as as a pass. I think the Derek Gore catch, the 50-yard catch, was a perfect example. It's really just Mahomes and the running backs just being on the same page and just, you know, in terms of, you know, the Gore is an example of the play extending and the running backs helping, but also a play like early in the game. Tony Rome actually did a good job of pointing it out. It was a red zone play. But Mahomes had a had a a deeper route. It looks like it was developing. It looks like he could have maybe just waited for that and, and maybe attempted that in a, in a tighter window. But instead of just waiting, man, he noticed the depth of the linebackers, uh, you know, downfield, and he just checked it down to Darrell Williams, and he got 12 quick yards and got them inside the 15 um, and, and moved the sticks. So I think that's just – it just shows you that. I think it's more about just Mahomes kind of – trusting the running backs and just kind of getting it to them quicker um more than just like this game plan to like you know design these these screen passes or these these pick routes to get the running backs in space it's more just about Mahomes uh understanding that you don't have to make the big play every time and sometimes a quick dump off to a to a a running back group that's playing really well you know that's all you need sometimes
1: yeah i I think maybe there's there's multiple layers to this thing when it comes to the running backs in the passing game and Obviously, it starts with all the backs being able to pass protect enough to to be on the field and to be reliable in that route. And then you've got the the check downs, you know, the the outlet, the, the safety valve, if you will. And then you've got the uh, the scramble drill, like like Derek Gore showed off this week, being able to be on the same page as the as the quarterback and make something happen when the play breaks down. And then you've got the design plays, the screens, the wheel routes or the true wide receiver routes that we know that these, some of these backs can run, that's a different level. And I think they're, they're doing better in those first few levels, but maybe they're not quite there yet. Maybe they can do more when it comes to the true creative design, design pass plays, targeting running backs as a primary option in a way that is you know, not predictable, and, and, again, puts them more on even footing with a wide receiver. That part I still don't think we've seen enough of yet. But over the last few weeks, your running backs have been among your leading receivers on a fairly regular basis. So they're doing something right. I just think that there's more there. There's more there.
2: Yeah, and the thing is, if they continue to target them in, in the past game at continues to. that. The only thing it could do is, is... – maybe get the defense a little too antsy, a little too anxious. They want to, you know, hey, fine, we're going to, you know, fly and take that running back, fl- you know, pass to the flat away because we're tired of giving up six to eight yards on these checkdowns. Then, boom, Kelsey's open over the middle because of that, you know, attention to the running back. So, you know, I think that's one thing about early in the season during the offensive struggles is that Mahomes just didn't really want to just settle for those checkdowns and settle for, you know, just dumping it off to the running back. But now he is, and we haven't seen the benefits of it yet, I don't think but i well in terms of opening up other stuff downfield i do think right now just passing it to them is helping but I, I think at some point if the if Mahomes continues to be willing enough to do that for the entire game or for a lot of the game i think defenses are going to get too antsy players themselves even if it's not the coaching staff are going to get too antsy and, and and you know uh overreact to those you know hey i, I don't want to give up these plays anymore then boom that opens up a big play so it has its benefits more than just how well the running backs are doing currently with it.
1: Well, the one guy we've talked about all season needing to be a bigger part of the passing game, Clyde edwards helaire went out with an injury this week. The x-rays came back negative, so it looks like they've avoided maybe some of the more serious possibilities of what a collarbone injury could be, but there's still more tests to come. We're still not sure if he's going to miss time. So we have a couple of questions here. Uh, number one rare form at big test 142 on Twitter with the injuries piling up is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire too small to play full time running back is is he considered injury prone now i i guess is part of the question I mean i guess it's fair right
2: i mean unfortunately he has had you know a handful of injuries in his two year career so far as, as crappy as it is to say and it it does seem like it it it's just him getting he'd go into the ground kind of awkwardly. Right. And and maybe that does have something to do with his stature, but he's not too small to play running back. First of all, he's, he's a very, he's a thick dude. Um, You know, uh, he, he is not a, uh, a small, uh, you know, he's, he's 200 plus pounds, probably even more than that. I, I don't know that his, his weight off the top of my head, but um, the reason his stature, you know, the reason he was a first round pick, you know, as much as maybe we, you can say you've been disappointed with his performance, but, the reason he's been a first round pick is cuz his stature actually helps him and actually that touchdown run at the beginning of the game was a great example man he he's just lower than everybody else right and and when you come in and hit him no matter how hard if you hit him high it's not toppling him over he has a low center of gravity and it's just it might push him back which it did but he's just going to stay up and and run right right around so no he's not too small because it, he's not too he's not too thin that's for sure he's a strong dude He might just be a little short and yeah, maybe that does, you know, maybe that does put him in positions to get kind of crunched a little more and kind of in awkward positions, uh, you know, folding up as he gets tackled to the ground. But it's not, that's not, you know, it's not, it's not a negative thing of his, if if anything, his stature actually helps him a lot. And and it's one of his biggest keys to being a running back is, is how low, low center of gravity has and how good of contact balance he has.
1: Yeah, I feel like this is the same as the is Tyreek Hill too short to be a number 1 ride, wide receiver you know, conversation. Right. You know, there's a big difference between short and small. And I think both of those guys are short, but they're not small. Um, Steve Williams asked if he were to be out for the season, would that hurt the Super Bowl chances? Williams and Gore have look great, but they're not as talented as Clyde. Do the Chiefs are the Chiefs going to be able to keep rolling? Or do they hit an offensive rut like they did when Clyde was out earlier this season?
2: I definitely think it could impact things. Um, I, I think one thing that I, I failed to mention a little earlier, but they are starting to get this there's this subtle package, this little package that they're starting to get Clyde in more and more that you might have noticed over these last few games, but basically he lines up as a wide receiver and empty. And 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 typically what you what will happen uh, you know, and, and a lot of offenses do this is the running back just motions into the backfield again and becomes a running back again. And a lot of people just do that just to see how the defense reacts to, you know, the running back being a wide receiver, um, even if they don't utilize it. Well, what the Chiefs are doing is they're actually motioning him in, but before he even gets to the backfield, they're snapping the ball and then he goes out on a route again. So it's it's kind of it's kind of, you know, taking advantage of the defense, you know, maybe sleeping, you know, getting caught being asleep a little bit in terms of, you know, they're just waiting for him to get back into the backfield, so they're not really ready for a snap. They've run a few pass routes uh, to him out of that. And so I do think if you didn't have Clyde, it goes back to what happened his rookie year. They just don't have the time to to maybe use, you know, a Garrett Gore in the running game in the same way. Cause you, it, it, it's something that the running back has to know himself. And maybe, maybe he has learned that Gore, you know, maybe, maybe they can use him in the same way, but it does seem like they're starting to, you know, get creative ways to have Clyde involved and, I don't think you can do the same thing with the other running backs. So I do think it could limit their creativity as an offense if Clyde isn't playing.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. I'm not sure I've seen a lot of true wide receiver routes out of Williams or Gore um, really ever at this point. Jerick McKinnon is a guy in the past who, who has been able to do that sort of thing. He hasn't done it as much yet with the chiefs. And I think he should be eligible to come off of IR uh, pretty soon. I saw Andy Reid was commenting on the, the fact that he's physically uh, pretty close to being ready to go. So it'll be interesting to see if they bring McKinnon back and then uh, you mix it up that way. If they have to, if if, if Clyde is out, um, or how they use these other guys. And this Dom uh, Ethan Domsh asks, if Clyde is out, would you give the start? If it was us, let's say I'm going to interpret his question to say, if you're the g, if you're the coach. Um, are you going to give the start to Daryl or to Gore? And and Ethan goes on to say he legitimately thinks that Gore has put himself in a better position, or at least for a 50-50 split. What do you think, Gore or Daryl?
2: Yeah, I think Gore is probably the bigger big play threat, right? I think you know on a play-by-play basis, he probably would bet on Gore turning it into a, a big play rather than Williams maybe. Um, in that sense, yes, but I also think – you can use that logic to reverse this, right? I think you use Williams as the the twenty or more, or you know the the bulk of the carries guy that can kind of get those six seven yard chunks, um, and and kind of get the most out of the carry, uh, in terms of just like kind of grinding and pounding in those those when there's not a hole there, right? Gore, you know, maybe your change of pace back where you know you bring him in maybe when the defense is tired, and then there's that one big hole and he takes advantage of it, so. I would I would still say Williams is the starter and Gore's more of a change of pace back uh, as a compliment.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I, I think we should we're all maybe disrespecting Dera Williams just a little bit at this point because he's been a really solid role player for this team in the past, and he's really put in a, a good season, a really good season overall. If you look at his numbers, um, he's got 453 yards rushing and 400 yards receiving so far this yeah. season this guy's approaching a thousand total yards uh, as a backup running back as a secondary, you know, a secondary target, a secondary receiver. I really think that he is, you know, is probably underrated at this point. He's running hard. Uh, He makes those really definitive cuts that you want to see out of your running back. And so I think on an every down basis, it's still going to be Daryl until proven otherwise, Uh, But it is, like I said earlier, getting hard to deny that Derek Gore uh, looks like a legitimate NFL back and and deserves part of that split. So I'm sure it'll be a rotation. Uh, They've they've kept it as a full rotation with Clyde healthy. Daryl has still had plenty of snaps and plenty of carries, even when when Clyde is fully healthy. So it's probably not an either-or conversation. It's just a matter of how do they mix it up. What are they able to call with those guys as compared to Clyde and, and what's it look like on a game plan basis each week uh, that, that's yet to be determined?
2: Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, Andy's seems like he's always been pretty good about, you know, whoever's the hot handy, just kind of trust and this offense, when they do get going, you know, there's not a lot of running backs that can screw up, you know, playing well in that offense when it really is going take advantage of what the, the, the offense is kind of presenting um, because Mahomes and everything else is on fire. A guy like Damian Williams, for example, in 2018, we didn't see anything from him, what, you know, most of the season, if not all the season, and then all of a sudden, because of, you know, Kareem Hunt, uh, his incident late in the season, Damien Williams steps in and all of a sudden he's, you know, he he looks like he's, you know, a, star, a starter from day one. So I think Derek Orto does have the talent, in my opinion, to take advantage if he was forced into a situation where he has to play more um, but I I would still rather have guys like Clyde and Darrell Williams in there. I, I I do think Gore's shown enough though, where you can be confident if he does have to
1: step in in the playoffs. All right, another really good question from Matthew Ragsdale on Twitter: What is our biggest weakness that needs to be addressed heading into the postseason? Yeah, right. And and that's the most important thing right now
2: is kind of addressing. And that's what the team's doing right now is addressing what what they need to get better at. Um, you know, before this postseason starts, now that the division is clinched, but. You know, I do think the willingness of the running game, right? I think it was, I think there was a a good sign in this game against the Steelers. Um, you know, um, they were able to kind of grind out the run game towards late in the game, and, and Gore. That's when Gore was really, you know, doing his thing. Um, but there was two scoring drives in the second half. Thirteen of the eighteen plays were rushing plays. And they gained 74 yards on those 13 rushes between Derek Gore and Darrell Williams for 5.7 yards per carry. So that they were putting the game away with the run game late in the game, which was good to see. But that was the first time we've seen that really in a, in a while, right? And 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 I still think a, a game like the Chargers was a little disappointing. I think they could have ran that well better on them. So I still think the the willingness to run the ball effectively and and the just being able to kind of use that as a weapon in the, in the offense rather than just a time filler. Like I think, I feel like Andy uses it as t- at times just a, a way to get from one pass play to the next by gaining three or four yards in between and taking a minute off the clock. Um, I do think that's still their biggest weakness and, but this was a good sign of, of them improving in that for sure. This game was.
1: Yeah. And in a similar vein, I would say the depth at receiver is still an issue even though they showed some real positive signs, I, I was happy to see Byron Pringle produce. I was happy to see McCole Hardman get his. Um, they've shown some good signs at times in this season, but not consistently so. And I think the reliability of that group is still a question mark. And when you're heading into the postseason, you're not going to be able to bank on the fact that anybody outside of Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill is going to have a big game. It could happen. It's It's happened occasionally this season. It happened this week. But can you reliably say, yes, going into this postseason, I know that Byron Pringle and Nicole Hardman and Josh Gordon are going to produce when they're needed to do so?
2: No, and, and the funny thing is, Stags, we both just picked offensive things as our weakness for this team right now. The defense, what weakness is there to talk about on the defense right now? Maybe they're dying defense with Neiman at linebacker. Um, it just kind of shows you where this team's at right now.
1: Yeah, it's uh, a great point. I mean, I, and I think we've worried about the depth of this team a lot this season. But over the last few weeks, your defense and offense have shown that they can overcome one game, at least, of their best players being out. I mean, you've had Willie Gay miss time. You've had Chris Jones miss time. You've had Jerry Sneed miss time. You've had, uh, you know, now Travis Kelsey this time. That's a lot of big names that have been out and they really haven't missed a beat on offense or defense. So I feel like the depth is in a much better place than what it was earlier in the season. That's one of the big things that I would worry about on the defense up until the last few weeks. Uh, But now I feel pretty comfortable that that if called upon, they can work around a couple of injuries. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I totally agree.
2: Uh, what other questions we got, Snags? All
1: right, we got time for one last question, I think. And it'll, let's look forward a little bit to this next week. Uh, at Mike Mike's two-start on Twitter, was Joe Burrow's big passing numbers, was that due to a Ravens secondary that was decimated? Or should we expect a big potential game from Burrow against the Chiefs?
2: Yeah, we got the Bengals coming up. All of a sudden, one of the biggest games of the year, probably, in, in people's minds because the Bengals are hot right now. The Chiefs are hot. Um, and, and I think it's appropriate, right? I think the Bengals are one of these teams we don't want to see, and I think it's in the playoffs um, relative. When I say that, guys, I am very confident as a as a follower of the Chiefs, a team that's won the AFC Championship three straight years and has been to the Super Bowl two straight years, that they're in a position to do it again, okay? So this is not me saying I'm scared of anybody. But there are teams. There are three teams, in my opinion, that are different than the rest of the teams in the AFC playoff picture, and it's and Bengals are one of them because of how they played against the Ravens. The Ravens had a decimated secondary, no doubt. But you don't put up 525 passing yards on accident or just because the defense didn't play that well. Mahomes hasn't even hit 500 yet in his career, and and think about all the games he's had that it seems like he should have a game like that. It shows you that Burrow is legit. He is a legit quarterback. He's playing his best football, it seems like, down the stretch um, of this season. And Jamar Chase and T. Higgins are both over 1,000 receiving yards this year, both under the age of 23. I heard that stat. Uh, It's like the first time that's happened. I can't remember how long, but a very long time. This team is very talented, the Bengals' offense, and I really think they're a team that could catch fire in in a postseason game um, just because they're – it's kind of one of those things where it's like it's almost dangerous to play a team that doesn't really know they're supposed to not be winning. You know what I'm saying? Like they're kind of just, you know, they're kind of just uh, they're not supposed to be in this position. So it's kind of all house money to them. And and that's what the Bengals are right now. And, and a guy like Burrow, who's won a national championship at LSU because of himself. Right. It wasn't they weren't a defensive team. They weren't a running team. They were a spread offense team that beat really good teams to win that national championship. I think that means something. My rant is over. The Bengals are a good team, and I do think they're one of the three teams—Bills and the Chargers being the other two—because of their quarterbacks are the teams I'd rather not see in the playoffs. If you're, if you have to pick from the from all the AFC teams,
1: yeah, the stats you were referring to is from Field Gates. Uh, Joe Burroughs, 25 years old, had over 4,000 yard passing. Joe Mixon, 25 years old, 1,100 yards rushing. Jamar Chase, 21 years old, 1,100 yards receiving. T. Higgins, 22, a thousand yards receiving, the Bengals are the first team to have a 4,000-yard passer, a 1,000-yard rusher, and 2,000-yard receivers that were all 25 or younger in that season in NFL history. It's the first time ever. Uh, so it just shows you that there is a lot of young talent, a lot of explosive talent on this offense uh, that the Chiefs are coming up against. And this is going to be no cakewalk. I, Like you said, I'm pretty confident in the, the way this Chiefs team is playing. That their defense can at least slow this uh, offense down. That I think that there's there's some matchup issues around the uh, you know around the field when you play the Bengals, but you've also got a Chiefs defense that is battle tested and proven and have, have shown a, the ability to play complementary football in such a way that they're probably not going to get blown out from a from an offense their offense versus uh, the Chiefs defense perspective and the way the Chiefs offense is playing. Uh, the, you, the Bengals are going to have to put up 30 or more to win this game. Uh, and, and I think that the Chiefs defense uh, is pretty well situated to, to keep them uh, under 30 and, and probably comfortably so. Uh, so I'm, I'm confident about the Chiefs' ability to win next week. You're right. This is one of those teams that's getting hot uh, coming into the playoffs, and you never want to run into that buzzsaw about the, the young team that's hot at the right time. Uh, but this chiefs team is hot at the right time and they're pretty young as well. Uh, so I feel like it's going to be a fun week, a uh, fun matchup for the chiefs and a team that you don't necessarily want to see in the playoffs. Um, but, but I feel pretty confident in the outcome.
2: Yeah. And I, I feel like I, I I'm acting like I'm just skipping over this game and looking at the playoffs, not this game, this game, you know, will will show a lot. And, and maybe after this game, we're all like, well, we're not worried about the Bengals apparently because of how the chiefs played them maybe. But, just just as we close it here, just thinking about the rest of the AFC playoff race, you know, you could pick between playing a guy like Ryan Tannehill or Carson Wentz or Mac Jones or or Derek Carr, potentially, or you could pick against playing quarterbacks like Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, or Joe Burrow. That's my point, guys. And the playoffs, it's all about your quarterback. It's all about which quarterback can score points, which quarterback can, can have great games. And Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow are a lot scarier in that instance to do so over guys like Tannehill or Carson Wentz or Mac Jones, the rookie. Um, so that's why those three teams, in my mind, are, are those three teams that, if we can avoid them, if they can maybe, a team like the Chargers, maybe even slide out of the playoffs, I would not mind at all.
1: Yeah, always look for that coach and quarterback advantage, especially in the playoffs. With Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, you got to feel pretty good about the Chiefs' chances against anybody. But if you have to go up against uh, – Uh, A quarterback in the playoffs, uh, probably not Joe Burrow, probably not, uh, well, I would say Justin Herbert, but after last week, maybe that's a question mark as well. But uh, I think the Chiefs are going to match up pretty well against whoever they play. This is an important game, though, to secure that number one seed. They have an opportunity to wrap it up this coming week and rest some starter in week 18, which just sounds absolutely insane after the way this season started. I know we got a question about that. Will the Chiefs have the chance to rest some starters? It very, It is very possible that they will. And I think it's a, a Miami win and a Chiefs win this week, if I remember correctly, uh, that would put them in that situation. Uh, and so those things are not out of the question by any means. Everything is on the table for this team. Everything is lining up for another Super Bowl run. We'll be there with you all along the way on the Out of Structure podcast, on the whole Arrowhead Pride podcast network and the website make sure you're reading rating reviewing listening sticking with us we appreciate you spending your day with us especially through the holidays we hope everybody is safe and healthy enjoying the holidays with your family and enjoying this run that the chiefs are on look forward to talking to you again next week hopefully after another chiefs victory